What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back at you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing how good will the Arkansas Razorbacks be this upcoming college football season, why the Cincinnati Bengals will have the NFL's best offense, the Philadelphia Eagles have a lot to prove this year. I'm going to be explaining why. And can Brian Dable, first-year head coach of the New York Giants, help save Daniel Jones' career? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media pages. You can follow me on Instagram at JT Sports underscore and on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. And lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. The Razorbacks last season and year two under Sam Pittman were the biggest story in college football. The season prior, they went three and seven. And then last year, they surprised the whole entire world when they went nine and four. And they had a couple of big wins earlier in the season against Texas and Texas A&M. Then in the middle of the year, they kind of crashed down a little bit. They got blown out by Georgia. Then they had a really close loss against Ole Miss, which came down to a failed two-point conversion. But then at the end of the year, they were able to regather themselves. They had a really close game against Alabama, and they were able to defeat Penn State in the Outback Bowl. So going into this year, 2022, how good are the Arkansas Razorbacks going to be? Well, in my opinion, I think that this is the second best team in the SEC West. And if you're an AM fan or Ole Miss fan or even a fan of LSU, you're probably looking at me and saying, JT, are you drunk right now? No, I'm not. It is 1.03 a.m. in the morning at the time I'm recording this, but I promise you I'm sober and I'm wide awake at the time that I'm making these statements. A large reason why I'm really high on Arkansas is, first of all, because of quarterback KJ Jefferson last year was his first season starting at quarterback for Arkansas and he was really good he threw for 2,676 passing yards he had 21 touchdowns to only four interceptions and completed 67.3 percent of his passes he also led the team in rushing yards with 664 he had 4.5 yards per carry and six touchdowns on 146 attempts so going into this year, if the Razorbacks are going to be able to replicate the success that they had in 2021, this year is going to be on the shoulders of KJ Jefferson. I've been talking about Hendon Hooker and how he is a legitimate candidate to win the Heisman Trophy, but many people are overlooking KJ Jefferson as well. And you probably could make the argument and say that he may be the second best quarterback in the SEC behind Bryce Young. Some people are probably going to say he may be third or fourth behind Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, but he's still one of the best quarterbacks in this conference. And depending on how much he develops this offseason as a passer, he could potentially end up being one of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in all of college football. So if he's able to take his game to the next level, I believe that he is going to be able to have this Arkansas team maybe at 10 wins and potentially playing in the New Year's Six Bowl game. When you look at the running back position, 
You lost your second leading rusher and Traylon Smith, who transferred to TCU over this offseason. However, you do return running backs Raheem Sanders and Dominique Johnson. Raheem Sanders last year had 114 carries, ran the ball for 578 rushing yards, averaging 5.1 yards per attempt, and had five touchdowns. Johnson, on the other hand, had 97 attempts. Ran the ball for 575 rushing yards, 5.9 yards per carry, and had seven touchdowns, which led all running backs on the roster last year. We also can't forget about A.J. Green. He's going to have a significant role this year as well. So the backfield is going to be really good. And K.J. Jefferson is already, is already a really good rusher especially when you're asking him to run the ball inside of the red zone with his size and how physical he is. He's really tough to bring down. You look at him, and he reminds me a lot of Cam Newton, a lot of Cam Newton. Really, really close to Cam Newton in measurables, mannerisms. I just look at him, and I say, wow, man. If he really is able to put it all together and he improves as a passer this year, Arkansas could go some places. Then you look at Sanders and Johnson. This potentially could be one of the best one-two punches in this conference. The offensive line was really good last year. They returned four out of five starters this season. So with how talented the offensive line is and with the talent that they have in the backfield, on top of that, you have KJ Jefferson. Those are some of the biggest reasons why I'm really high on this team going into this year. Because most of the time, if you're looking at a team that potentially could be vying for a conference championship or a New Year's Six berth, you have to look at what they have up front. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good your skill position is if you don't have the big boys up front to block and create holes for him and also protect your quarterback. Arkansas's offensive line potentially could be one of the best in all of college football this year. However, I know there are going to be pundits out there who are going to push back and say, well, JT, who's playing wide receiver? Because let's not act as if they didn't lose wide receiver Traylon Burks, who got drafted by the Titans in the first round of this past year's NFL draft. However, you do bring in Oklahoma transfer Jaden Hazelwood, who was a five-star recruit coming out of high school. In 2021 for the Sooners, he caught 31 or 39 receptions for 399 receiving yards, six touchdowns, and averaged 6.2 yards per reception. He's going to have high expectations from Razorback fans, and rightfully so. He is a super talented player. However, can he stay healthy? Second, who are going to be the wide receivers who steps up behind Jaden Hazelwood? Because if you're going to be able to compete in the SEC, you got to have more than just one good player when it comes to the wide receiver core. Well, you have Key John Jackson Jr., who was a four-star recruit coming out of the 2021 class, I believe. He was the 165th ranked player in his class, according to 247 Sports the 21st best wide receiver, and he's been getting a lot of great reviews from offensive coordinator Kendall Bryers. He said that he came along nicely in his development. He's 6'2", 205 pounds, so he has a phenomenal size. He also has great speed, great frame. He's going to be 
really good at stretching the field vertically for this passing game. He's going to win a lot of 50-50 matchups as well. And for Kendall Bryles, he said last year he didn't really see the field all that much because he was still getting acclimated to the college game, the playbook, the speed of it, and whatnot. So this year, I think that he could do some really fantastic things. He could break out for Arkansas because not too many people know about him. Then you have Warren Thompson, who caught 19 passes last season for 304 yards and had two touchdowns. The depth at wide receiver may not be all that great. However, this is still a team that primarily is going to be focused on running the football. Then, on the defensive end, their defense last year, I felt, cost them a handful of games. And I don't know if it's because of the scheme they ran and just not having the horses to be able to be as dominant as what they should have been in a couple of matchups. Because I was really surprised that the Ole Miss game went the way that it did. It was a shootout. If you remember that game, there were touchdowns being scored left and right. And I was really disappointed because this defense had a good amount of talent last year and a lot of experience. So going into 2022 under defensive coordinator Barry Odom, what are going to be the changes that are going to be made? At defensive end, Eric Gregory returns. You're also getting LSU transfer, London Jackson. Bro, have you seen this dude's size? He is, what, 6'7", 273 pounds? If you see him run in his high school highlights, you're going to say, man, this is a man amongst boys. I think he could end up having a really impactful season for the Arkansas Razorbacks in his first year with this program. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing him have maybe six or seven sacks. He is—he has really phenomenal size, six seven two seventy three. Oh my goodness! And when you when you watch him, you just say, "Man, this is a dude." <laughs> Literally, this is somebody who you create on NCAA or Madden. It's crazy. His genetics are off the chains. Then you have defensive tackle Isaiah Nichols, who is expected to get the start at DT this year. Last year, he had 21 tackles, one and a half sacks. He should improve this year. They also got another transfer, linebacker Drew Sanders from Alabama. You're going to have Bumper Pool returning at linebacker. He led the team in tackles with 125, had two pass deflections. The front seven should be pretty good. I wonder... If they're going to be a little bit better when it comes to stopping runs on the edge, because that's something that I noticed a lot about this Razorbacks defense last year, is that they were really slow when it came to defending runs on the outside. I'm wondering with the addition of Drew Sanders and bringing in London Jackson, if that's going to improve. The secondary also was kind of up and down. And they brought in a couple of key transfers that I really like, such as Dwight McLaughlin from LSU. Last year for the Tigers, he had 25 tackles, a forced fumble, an interception, and five pass deflections. He could emerge as the best corner on this team. You have Ladarius Bishop, who is an experienced corner. He's going to bring some leadership to this secondary. You have Trent Gordon, who is expected to get the start at slot. We also can't forget about Hudson Clark and Kari Johnson. At safety, you have Latavius Brini, who is a senior, formerly played for the Georgia Bulldogs. He had 38 tackles, 8 pass deflections. You got Miles Slusher, 
That's a fun name to say. And Malik Chavez. This is a really solid football team. A really good one, as a matter of fact. And one thing that really has me sold on Arkansas is that we know what they're getting from the quarterback position. Because for LSU, you don't know who your starter is going to be. And whoever you name as your starter, there's no guarantee that they're going to be good right away. You may end up having to put somebody in. So we don't know how their quarterback situation is going to be. Ole Miss with Jackson Dart, he's pretty good. He's legit. He played a couple of games at USC that I watched. I like him a lot. But I don't think that those teams are going to be as good up front as Arkansas. And the name of the game is being able to win the line of scrimmage. And on both sides of the football, this defensive line looks as if it should be pretty good, even better than what it was last year, which may be a little bit of an overstatement, but it is a compliment. Because anytime you have somebody that's 6'7", 273 pounds, you're going to have to look out for them. You really are. And then the fact that this defense improved the linebacker position because the linebacker play wasn't bad. But as I mentioned earlier, it could have been a lot better, especially when it came to defending runs on the edge. Arkansas really has all of the necessary tools to be able to not only compete in this conference, but actually push for second place. And there's not really one game on their schedule that I'm looking at right now that I'm saying uh, Arkansas doesn't have a chance. Even Alabama. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama, but I definitely feel as if they're capable of being able to give Alabama a competitive game. I'm not going to stamp that statement. I'm not willing to put money on it because I thought that Arkansas was going to be able to compete with Georgia, and I saw how that went. However, this is a team that I feel got really good over the course of this offseason. I like the fact that this offensive line has so much experience and talent. And that's going to be really big because this was one of the best teams in all of college football when it came to running the football. Now, if K.J. Jefferson is able to improve as a passer and he's better than what he was last year, look out. Because this is a team that could end up winning 10 plus games. And making it to the New Year Six. And I think that they're capable of being able to win 10, maybe 11 games. Because many people overlooking this team, they think last year was a one-off. And maybe it might be. Maybe I am a little bit too high and buying into the hype of Arkansas. Because now everybody is paying attention to the Razorbacks. But I think that Sam Pittman has this program trending in the right direction. I would be really surprised if this team ends up taking a step back. You open your season up with Cincinnati, who recently went to the college football playoffs. You should be able to win that game. Cincinnati lost a lot. You lost players to the NFL. You're going to have a new starting quarterback, so you don't know how great your quarterback play is going to be. There's a lot of question marks with Cincinnati. I definitely feel as if Arkansas should be able to open up the season with a win. And then after that, you're going to go through the gauntlet that is the SEC. They may not win 10 games. They could pretty much be around nine wins. Maybe they win eight. But this is a really talented football team. And I don't think enough people are giving Arkansas the respect they deserve because this is a program that's here to stay. And I think that they could be a dark horse college football playoff contender. I really like talking about the college football playoffs this early in the offseason. I really like saving that talk for when the regular season approaches. But 
I really feel this Arkansas Razorback program is definitely going to be way better than what people think. And they were way better than what we thought initially going into the 2021 college football season. And one thing about Sam Pittman, man, is that he knows how to get the most out of his players. If you listen to him talk, he makes you want to run through a brick wall for him. He makes you want to put your body on the line. He makes you want to give it your all. He is a player's coach. He's really good with words. Really good with words. I believe everything Sam Pittman says, even if it's a lie, I still would believe him. So for Sam Pittman, man, I'm really happy that the Arkansas Razorbacks are having the success that they are having right now. I'm really high on them. I'm going to be watching almost every single game supporting this program because this was kind of my adopted college football team last year because I'm a Hurricanes fan and the Hurricanes kept letting me down. So I just said bumping. I'm, I'm about to just hop on the Arkansas hype train. And I. it was a very fantastic ride. It was some bumps. It was some very highs and a couple of of lows but mostly highs in the sec you're going to run into a stretch where you're going to get tested and it's not really all about how you handle those losses it's about how you respond to those losses and one thing about arkansas is that they respond well to adversity so let me know what you guys think about the Arkansas football program going into the upcoming 2022 college football season. I love talking about Arkansas because this is a program that doesn't really get talked about that much in the national media and on YouTube, even though they do have Locked On with Arkansas, which the Locked On um network they're huge now they've expanded into college football now they've already expanded into the nfl and the nba so i'm glad that there are more people who are now starting to cover the arkansas razorbacks i love the fan base you guys always support the podcast really well i wish you guys a lot of success this upcoming season i'm going to be watching and i'm really excited about what the razorbacks can do this year i think they finished in second place in the sec west i feel the cincinnati Bengals are going to have the NFL's best offense in 2022. Last year, they had the worst offensive line in the NFL. They allowed 3.5 sacks per game. That was 32nd in the league. Joe Burrow was sacked over 50 times. And despite that, they were able to make it to the Super Bowl. And last year was a phenomenon. Because there's going to be people out there who are going to have a young quarterback behind a not-so-great offensive line, and they're going to say, if Joe Burrow did it, why can't you? Joe Burrow is different. Joe Burrow is cut from a different kind of cloth. He is cerebral. His mindset, the way he approaches the game, he just elevates everybody. He just makes you want to play hard for him. And last year, we saw that. Because this was a team that didn't really have high expectations going into the season. We didn't expect them to make it to the playoffs. We definitely didn't expect them to win the division. And then when they made it to the Super Bowl, I was like, huh? And it's funny because normally teams with bad offensive lines sometimes are able to get into the postseason. And maybe they're able to walk away with a wild card victory. But after that, they don't really make it far because the best teams... In the postseason are the teams that normally have great offensive line play. You look at Cincinnati, they revamped the offensive line. 
Do you remember when Kansas City lost to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl and they got destroyed by their defensive line? After that game, Kansas City pretty much tanked their whole offensive line. They rebuilt it and started over. You look at how good their offense was last year, even though it took them a while to get going. For Cincinnati, you bring in center Ted Karras, right guard Alex Kappa, right tackle Lyle Collins. You already have left tackle Jonah Williams, who was your best offensive lineman last year. You're going to have Carmen Jackson expected to start at left guard. So this offensive line is going to be really, really good. This is probably one of the top five best units in the NFL going into this season. And now you're going to give Joe Shiesty, Joe Brr, more time to sit back and throw the football. He's not going to have to get the ball out in less than two or three seconds. This offense is going to be even more deadly than what it was last year. And it was really surprising because I kept saying, doggone it, they give up so many sacks, but they make up for it because they are just so good at being able to generate chunk plays. And now with the improved offensive line, imagine the damage that they're going to be able to do. The Bengals on the ground averaged four yards per carry, which was 26 in the league. Joe Mixon is going to be running through way bigger holes than where he was running through last year. I know that may sound a little bit suspect. Didn't mean for it to come out that way, but you guys will get what I'm trying to say. So Joe Burrow, he's going to have a fantastic year. But Joe Mixon, he could be in for a career year, literally. Because Joe Mixon has never really gotten the opportunity to play behind a great offensive line like this one. So he's going to benefit from it. These wide receivers are going to benefit from it because this is a team that was pretty much predicated on big plays. It's weird because the Bengals could get negative yardage on first down, try to throw the ball on second down, have it ended up in the sack. Then on third down, they end up converting because they're just so doggone good at getting big plays. And now that you give Joe Burrow a legitimate offensive line, imagine the damage that's going to happen this year to opposing defenses. If you don't have a good pass rush, you're going to be in trouble. And even if you do have a good pass rush, you're now going to have to deal for offensive line that's not going to give up a 10 sack performance like they did in the divisional round went against Tennessee you're going to have a defensive line that unless you have some studs similar to what the Rams had last year with Von Miller and Aaron Donald you're really going to have a tough time if you don't have legitimate secondary so for any team out there that's playing Cincinnati you have to make sure that you have not only just a phenomenal pass rush, but you got to make sure that your cornerbacks are able to hang with these wide receivers. And I had somebody on Twitter make a post that ended up popping up on my recommended. It was a Browns fan talking about how the Browns got the best wide receiver core in the AFC North. Are we serious right now? We serious right now, right? The Browns have a better wide receiver core than Cincinnati Bengals. Didn't make any sense to me. Outside of Amari Cooper... Who else on the Browns is even capable of being able to be regarded in this conversation as being as good as a Jamar Chase? We saw what he did. He set records last year. T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. These are three wide receivers that could be your number one on pretty much a handful of NFL squads. You're not going to find too many wide receiving cores that have three true number one wide receivers. Tyler Boyd has been 
the most underrated wide receiver in the game for over the last two years. I say over the last two and not three because at one point, that title belonged to T.Y. Hilton. But we already know what's happened to T.Y. Hilton. He's starting to get old. He started to regress. You got T. Higgins. T. Higgins was drafted a couple years back. Phenomenal, man. This wide receiving core is stacked. Then let's not forget, at tight end, you did lose CJ Uzama, but you have Hayden Hurst. I think Hayden Hurst is a really good fit. I think he's a better overall tight end than CJ Uzama. Remember, Hayden Hurst was a former first-round pick by the Baltimore Ravens. However, what happened is that they ended up drafting Mark Andrews in that same draft. And I don't think anybody expected Mark Andrews to be better than Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst has always been a pretty solid tight end. He's pretty athletic, has pretty good speed, solid hands. So I think he's an upgrade. You lost CJ Uzama, but you replaced him with Hayden Hurst. Even though CJ Uzama may be better when it comes to run blocking, Hayden Hurst is a better true pass catching tight end than CJ Uzama, in my opinion. So for Joe Burrow, I expect him to put up phenomenal numbers. He's my pick to win NFL MVP this year. I'm probably going to have to make another segment later on in the next couple of weeks about why I feel Joe Burrow will win NFL MVP. But check out these numbers. I'm I'm not really big on stats, but he completed 70.4% of his passes last year. Threw for 4,611 passing yards, 34 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. If he can lower those interception numbers, oh my God, Joe Burrow might put up 50 touchdowns this year. He might just go ahead and break the all-time record for most passing touchdowns in the season if they let him. If they just decide just to have this air out approach, this air raid philosophy, which I doubt because you have Joe Mixon, you're going to have to stay balanced and you're going to have to feed him as well because you're paying him a good amount of money. But Joe Burrow, man, I just think out of all of the quarterbacks in the NFL right now, I think he has the best offensive team around him when it comes to his supporting cast. Great offensive line, three number one wide receivers, a great running back. It doesn't get no better than that. This dude, Joe Mixon, walked into Cincinnati when it was a mobile home. He took Cincinnati from that mobile home and upgraded them to a four-bedroom mansion. I don't know if that's a great metaphor or great analogy, but you get what I'm trying to say. The dude is a winner. We don't see quarterbacks like Joe Burrow walk into the NFL this often and just completely change the culture of an organization. Joe Burrow is not going to suffer from a Super Bowl hangover, and neither is this team. He does not tolerate winning. He's going to do everything in his power that it takes to win. This man is a really great quarterback, but a really great leader. He knows how to elevate the players around him. And not only that, but Jamar Chase, think about what he did as a rookie. As a rookie. He's already in the conversation as a top five, top ten wide receiver. And that was one year. Imagine what he's going to do with a second year. An added offseason of development. And then, remember... He was still trying to get into the flow of things last year because he sat out the whole entire 20, what, 2020 season to prepare for the NFL draft. So for Jamar Chase, with another offseason of development, 
Think about how daily he could become this year. We could end up seeing him go for maybe 1,700, 1,800 yards. I'm not going to say 2,000 because it's just too many mouths to feed. But this offense is going to be dangerous. And don't be surprised if you see Joe Burrow set all kinds of records this year. I'm trying to tell you, if you are somebody who likes to bet on prop bets, such as who's going to win offensive rookie or defensive rookie of the year or MVP, Put your money down on Joe Burrow. I am trying to tell you. Joe Burrow and this Bengals offense, they're not only going to put up numbers, but they might break some records. But you guys let me know how you feel about the Cincinnati Bengals offense this upcoming NFL season. This offense is going to be deadly, man. Absolutely deadly. And it, it makes me sick. It makes me absolutely sick that I'm saying this because I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And don't we play the Bengals week one? <sighs> okay. We're going to see how Lyle Collins matches up against T.J. Watt. Because if you can neutralize T.J. Watt, you already pretty much have the game won there. So let me know how you guys are feeling about the Cincinnati Bengals offense down in the comment section down below. Do you guys feel that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to have the best offense in the league? Let me know if you agree or if I'm just drinking too much of the Kool-Aid of Cincinnati. The Philadelphia Eagles last season... They went 9-8. They made the postseason, losing to the Timbay Buccaneers in the wildcard round, 31-15. And last year, this franchise made strides in the right direction. Not going to knock them for that. However, this is a team that I feel is getting a little bit overhyped. And I don't like to use the word overrated or overhyped because I think it's a cop-out giving people reason for giving out lazy analysis just because they don't feel a certain way about a team compared to the majority of people out there. But I think it's the proper way to describe the Eagles going into this season. I'm not going to knock them for the offseason they had. They have had a fantastic offseason. I'm going to acknowledge the fact that this may be the most improved team heading into the upcoming 2022 NFL season. You trade for A.J. Brown, you are going to pair him up with Devontae Smith, who happens to be one of my favorite wide receivers in the league. If you guys have been listening to the podcast for over a year or two now, you guys will know that I have been a big Devontae Smith fan ever since his last season at Alabama when he won the Heisman. I love the addition of A.J. Brown. They have one of the best wide receiver duos, if not the best wide receiver duo potentially in the league. Then... You are able to still linebacker Nicobe Dean in this past year's NFL draft. Should have been the first round pick, but he ended up falling due to injuries. You improve your linebacker position. You also sign Hassan Reddick, who I have to make a video on because that's one of the most underrated free agency signings that nobody really acknowledged or talked about. So this is a team that definitely improved. You bring in Jordan Davis, you probably have one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, especially when it comes to handling the Ryan game. I'm a big fan of Javon Hargrave as a Steeler fan. I would love to have Javon Hargrave back. Then you look at corner. You sign James Bradbury, which James Bradbury... I don't really know how good he's going to be with Philadelphia because he wasn't that great last year with the New York Giants. But let's just be optimistic before I get pessimistic in a couple of seconds. 
I think James Bradbury could end up having a really good season with Philadelphia. You have Darius Slay, who was playing at an all-pro level last year. We talk about top five corners. Darius Slay should definitely be in that conversation. And when I bring him up as a top five cornerback to my friends, they kind of give me the eyebrow. They, huh, Darius Slay? I mean, yeah, as a matter of fact, I was kind of making a quiet argument about why he should be in the conversation for a defensive player of the year. The dude made plays. Scored a couple of defensive touchdowns as well. So your secondary definitely has improved, even though that you do have a hole at the other safety spot alongside of Anthony Harris. This defense is going to be really good, really good, especially in the trenches. And then you look at how good this team is on the offensive line. This is one of the best offensive lines in the league. So this is a very talented football team. However, too many people are not really diving into how this team was able to make it into the playoffs last year. And you may be saying, JT, this is a new year. What does last year have anything to do? Let me let me give you guys my argument. The Eagles were 9-8 last season, right? They were 1-7 against teams with a record of 500 or better. And I'm not even including their playoff loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in those losses... They had a combined point differential of 11.8. That means they were losing games against teams 500 or better by at least two possessions. The only team that they beat that had a 500 record or better were the New Orleans Saints. So what that tells me is that, first of all, I don't know just how good of a coach Nick Seriani is. I don't know how good he is at making adjustments. I don't really know how good he is at being able to game plan because he beat up, well, this team beat up on the worst teams in the league. Then Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts looked really good at moments. But against some of the best teams in the league, this passing game was really awful. Really awful. And I'm a big Jalen Hurts fan. As a matter of fact, I think he can end up being the franchise guy at quarterback for Philadelphia. However, we don't really know how much he's going to develop as a passer. And even if he does develop as a passer, is he going to develop good enough to win and the playoffs? Because when you get to the playoffs, it doesn't matter how athletic you are and how good you are when it comes to being able to run the football as a quarterback. You have to be able to still dominate from inside the pocket. Why do you think Lamar Jackson get so much criticism for his postseason play because he struggles being able to throw outside the numbers. Same thing with Jalen Hurts. And I'm not saying that he won't improve. It's just that, is he going to improve enough to be able to win, win you playoff games inside the pocket? I don't know. Jalen Hurts, for all we know, may never develop to that point where he can consistently dominate from inside the pocket. And that's okay. But the question is, are the Eagles going to be able to have a system in place that's going to allow them to make a deep playoff run? Because you're not going to be able to win too many playoff games having the same performance in the postseason that you did against Tampa Bay. And I understand that the wide receiver position improved. But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge that the fact that it doesn't matter how good of a wide receiver core you have if your quarterback is inept at being able to get them the ball Devontae Smith, let's call a spade a spade, was held back by Jalen Hurts in certain moments. 
Devontae Smith should have had just as good as a rookie season as Jamar Chase. He's a better wide receiver than Jamar Chase, in my opinion, when it comes to route running, just a total overall package. And that's a debate for another day. So for me, this Eagles team has a lot to prove. And many people are giving this team 12, 13 wins. Some people are picking them to win this division, which I wouldn't be opposed to because we already know what happens with the Dallas Cowboys. They're inconsistent from year to year. They don't really handle expectations all that well. But for the Philadelphia Eagles, I have legitimate concerns about Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. I don't know how good of a head coach Nick Sirianni is because when he's been matched up against some of the best teams in the NFL, it's been a dog. It's been a whitewash. You get what I'm saying? And when Jalen Hurts has been matched up against some of the best defenses in the league, he hasn't delivered as a passer. And you still have to be able to win from inside the pocket. It doesn't matter how good you are with your legs because eventually it's going to come a time where you have to be able to engineer a game-winning drive by strictly throwing the football. And even if you do have good wide receivers, you still have to be able to get them the ball. There were many times last year where Jalen Hurts held back Devontae Smith because he wasn't able to get them the ball. And when this offense was bad, it was bad, really bad. So the Eagles have a lot to prove. Are they a Dark Horse Super Bowl contender? Many people have different definitions of a Dark Horse Super Bowl contender. Dark Horse Super Bowl contender is similar to what Cincinnati did last season. They are a team that people may not pick to win the division and a team that many people probably could see get into the postseason but not having a deep playoff one. They are a... They are a sleeper Super Bowl team pretty much. They have the talent. It's just that... You don't know if it's going to come together. So for me, I have a lot of reservations about the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not saying that they're not going to make it to the playoffs because I do believe that they can make it to the playoffs. All I'm saying is that I don't think this team is going to be as good as what people think. Because against good teams last season, they got outcoached and they looked outmatched. And even if you do have talent, it doesn't matter how good of a team you have if your coach isn't able to put you in the proper situations to have success. Jason Garrett always had talent with the Dallas Cowboys, and yet, more times than not, they underperformed. They didn't achieve. They weren't able to live up to expectations because a good head coach is able to elevate the players on his team. And an average head coach, such as Jason Garrett, he may be able to get you to the postseason, but as soon as you get to the playoffs, you're going to end up getting bounced right out because he's inept at making adjustments. And too many times last season, I didn't really see Philadelphia trying to make adjustments. Or maybe they tried to make adjustments and it just didn't work out. It's just, I want to put pause to many people who are saying that Philadelphia is going to end up winning 12 plus games or even more than 10 games. And for people who are saying this is a Super Bowl dark horse, I understand. Because if Jalen Hurts develops as a passer, and he does end up becoming a really effective passer from inside of the pocket, okay. One, one, one thing checked off the list. If Nick Sirianni ends up 
being a good head coach and he's able to make adjustments and actually be able to not get out coached by the opposing head coaches that he's matched up against on good teams. Okay, check mark. Philadelphia most definitely could make a deep playoff run. But until I see more from Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni against good teams, I I just can't really get behind the hype that everybody has for the Philadelphia Eagles. I just can't because you have to understand that it's more to winning football games than just having talent. You got to have the coaching. You have to. You have to be able to make adjustments. Every team in the playoffs is going to be a good team. Every team in the postseason is going to have good coaching. What about Philadelphia? What about Jalen Hurts? You're going to have to be able to win from inside the pocket. It's a reason why Lamar Jackson hasn't been to a Super Bowl yet. It's a reason why he hasn't even been to an AFC championship game. It's a reason why Michael Vick never was able to make it to a Super Bowl. Dual threat quarterbacks have to be able to be true dual threat quarterbacks. You can't be better with your legs than you are with your arm. You have to be just as effective. You have to be good throwing the football. You have to also be just as effective running the football if you consider yourself a dual threat quarterback. In a sense, you have to be balanced. And for Jalen Hurts, his best trait right now is still his ability to run the football. And he's still very underwhelming as a passer. And I'm hoping that this improves. I'm not saying that he can't. I'm just saying that I need to see it first. And I think a lot of you guys are just quick to just hop on this bandwagon and look at how much this team has improved and look at the roster. But many people are forgetting how this team performed last year. And I understand last year's last year. This is a better football team. However, it is worth noting. You can't forget about how underwhelming the Philadelphia Eagles were against good competitive football teams. They beat up on bad teams. I'm just saying. Too many people are judging this team by talent. And we still have a lot of question marks that have to get worked out. And many people seem to not really be addressing these question marks for some reason. We need to see how effective Jalen Hurts can be from inside of the pocket. I'm not saying that he may not ever become a great passer. I'm just saying that I need to see it. I really do. I want to see what Philadelphia does against some of the best teams in the NFL this season. Heck, I want to see what they do against the Dallas Cowboys because they didn't beat the Dallas Cowboys at all. The Dallas Cowboys hung 50 on Philadelphia. It, it was a wash. So, I know Eagles fans are probably going to be upset about this video or this segment of the podcast. But, for me personally, I have to bring it to people's attention. Because I don't think people are bringing up these questions about Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. They were 1-7 against teams with a record of 500 for a reason. And no matter how much they improve, the coaching has to be in question. Because you had to be able to make adjustments. And they were losing these games by at least double digits. They were only a handful of games. Maybe the Buccaneers game where that was a one-possession football game. Just saying, I need to see more, and the Eagles have a lot to prove this year. I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts. I want to see Jalen Hurts succeed. I really do. I'm a big fan of Jalen Hurts. But until I see what this team is able to do against better opponents and what Nick Sirianni can do as a head coach against some of the best head coaches in the league, I'm going to hold off 
on my high expectations for Philadelphia. Still think this is a team that can make it to the postseason. However, I don't think that this is a team that's going to have the success that many people think they're going to have. 12 wins, 13 wins could happen. Strongly doubt it. Nine, 10 wins is kind of the range that I feel the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be in this season. But we'll see. I don't have no problem being wrong. I don't have no problem coming back on here and saying that I'm wrong. I said it last year when Philadelphia made it to the postseason. I was wrong. I had them being one of the worst teams in the league. And I could definitely be wrong again. But you guys let me know. Do you guys feel the same way about Philadelphia that I do? Or do you guys think that I'm tripping and that Philadelphia definitely is going to end up being one of the best teams in the NFC this upcoming football season? Let me know down in the comment section down below. The New York Giants hired former Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable, who helped improve the Buffalo Bills offense and helped design the offense around Josh Allen and helped develop Josh Allen. He's now the New York Giants, and he has a big task ahead of him this year. He's going to have to be able to get the most out of Daniel Jones. And I'm wondering, can Brian Dable help save Daniel Jones career because Daniel Jones his rookie season was really solid I was really impressed with what I saw out of Daniel Jones as a matter of fact I was kind of taken back at how his career has gone ever since it seems like he's gotten worse every single year he has 65 turnovers in three years 36 of those being fumbles and 29 of those being interceptions you can attribute some of his turnover problems and his lack of development due to poor offensive line play, not really having the best offensive line around him. I understand that. However, there are a handful of times that Daniel Jones ends up getting sacked because he holds on to the ball too long. He doesn't really feel pressure. He'll step right up into a sack. He has poor pocket awareness. There are a lot of things that Daniel Jones has to clean up. And it's hard for me to see those things being cleaned up in the span of only one offseason. And the clock is ticking for Daniel Jones. This is it. This is his last year to prove himself as the franchise quarterback for the New York Giants. Because you have C.J. Stroud coming out. You have Bryce Young. Next year's quarterback class is absolutely loaded. Absolutely loaded. You did draft Evan Neal. So you're going to end up having a really good offensive tackle duo, Andrew Thomas on the left side, Evan Neal on the right side. However, their interior of the offensive line still isn't that great. Hopefully it can improve with some scheme changes. We know Brian Dable is going to be able to design the offense based off the current personnel that he has. However, another reason why it's kind of hard for me to see Daniel Jones having success this season. It's because we haven't really seen too many quarterbacks have success with so many coaching staff changes. Look at what happened to Jameis Winston in Tampa Bay. He first got drafted by the Buccaneers in 2015. Lovey Smith was his head coach. Lovey Smith got fired. Then they brought in Dirk Cutter. Then Dirk Cutter got fired. Then they brought in Bruce Arians. And we saw what happened then. Now, James Winston looks like he's starting to turn the corner with the New Orleans Saints. He was really solid last year. As a matter of fact, he was on pace to have the best season of his career. 
So for Daniel Jones, how is he going to handle another coaching staff change? This is his third head coach that he's had in only a couple of seasons. And when you have so many coaching staff changes, you constantly put your young quarterback in a bad situation where he has to learn a new playbook, get acclimated to a new system. He's never able to get comfortable. Go back to Marcus Mariota with Tennessee. Although he didn't have as many head coaching changes as guys such as Daniel Jones and Jameis Winston, he had two new head coaches, and he almost had a new offensive coordinator almost every single year that he was in Tennessee. Constantly having a new offensive coordinator, having to learn a new playbook, new terminology almost every single offseason. It makes it hard on a quarterback to develop when you can't get comfortable in a system. Meanwhile, with the Buffalo Bills, they did things the right way. They built around Josh Allen, and they also kept the same coaching staff around to help develop Josh Allen. And Josh Allen got comfortable under Brian Dable because he was familiar with the system. By the time last season came around, the dude was pretty much a veteran. He knew the playbook inside and out. For Daniel Jones, this is going to be, once again, a new head coach that he has to learn another playbook for. So, I'm somebody who's really optimistic, and I'm rooting for Daniel Jones to pull through because I've been telling people, hey, can Daniel Jones get his full rookie contract to show what he can do as an NFL quarterback? Because too many times in this day and age of the NFL, we're just so quick to throw a quarterback to the wolves after one or two seasons. What happened to a decade ago when you used to draft the rookie quarterback and you waited four or five years for him to develop? Now everybody's just so ready to find the next best thing. For Daniel Jones, this is it. Could he end up being Alex Smith 2.0? Remember, Alex Smith was in a similar situation to Daniel Jones. His first couple of years with the 49ers were not that great. And then his final year, he was able to put some things together. Ended up being pretty solid. Had a pretty good career overall in the league. For Daniel Jones... He's somebody that I view at the moment as a really good backup. He can come in and produce at times, but you can't trust him with the ball in his hands. He's turnover prone. He's gotten worse almost every single year. And you kind of got to wonder if he's kind of gotten shot. You remember Sam Darnold? Oh my goodness. Dude was getting baptized with the New York Jets. And by the time he left New York and went to Carolina, it was still a little bit too little too late because those bad habits that he had in college Never really got improved. Pretty much Sam Darnold's the same quarterback now that he was when he was coming out of USC. And Sam Darnold pretty much got worse every single year with the New York Jets. And I'm starting to see a similar trait with Daniel Jones. The dude has gotten worse every single year. And even if Brian Dable was able to work his magic and squeeze a little bit of juice out of Daniel Jones, what's going to keep the New York Giants from saying, you know what? Let's go ahead and swing for the upside. Let's go ahead and get a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud. Heck, they're on the board. We have the opportunity to get one. Why not? So for Daniel Jones, man, I don't know. I don't know if Brian Dable is going to be able to save his career. This is his third coaching staff. He's regressed almost every single year. And I've yet to see a quarterback within their first couple of years in the league be able to overcome so many coaching staff changes. And you Giants fans can say, well, JT, the offensive line was holding them back. I understand that. However, Justin Herbert had a bad offensive line. 
he was still pretty good his rookie season. What about Joe Burrow? He carried the Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl behind the worst offensive line in the league, getting sacked three and a half times per game. Even Tua. Tua's been better than Daniel Jones, despite not having a great offensive line and not having a good group of wide receivers around him. And pretty much no run game. So I've seen quarterbacks do more than Daniel Jones in worse situations. So, you guys let me know how you guys feel about Daniel Jones this season. Do you guys feel that Brian Dable is going to be able to help save his career? Let me know down in the comment section down below. I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember that the JT Sports Podcast is available on every single podcasting platform. Wherever you get your podcasts from, it's available. Apple, Spotify, Google, Every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on all those podcasting platforms. Make sure that you go ahead and check it out. If you enjoy this episode, leave a five-star review, share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. And I will see you guys shortly with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.